Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again, as me and a man I'm about to introduce are going to look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from May 1st, 1982. A lot going on in Mid-South at this time, and I made a little bit of a mention of him a second ago. Let me now welcome on Mike Mills. Mike, May 1st, 1982, and the Cowboy is back in the saddle. Man, this is going to be a good one. We got the Cowboy back, so that's one thing. We got a debut. That's another thing. Big debut. We got, and I guess you can say, would you say we have a return? Because Ted DiBiase has, hadn't been on for a, a little while now. I mean, he hadn't been gone completely, but you know what I mean. Uh, not, 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 not been in the ring for a little bit. So uh, we got, a, we got a lot going on here. So big debut with a with a Mid South mainstay coming in. Cowboy's back, and then we got DiBiase back in the ring too. Yeah, a lot going on. Big return, big debut, like you said. But right at the top of the show here, Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts is a very interesting little announcement. You know, Cowboy Bill Watts obviously sits at the announce table when he's there on the show, and he does his commentating because the fans demand it. They write in letters all the time, and Boyd just loses his mind because people want to see the Cowboy and hear the Cowboy. But who's in charge? They talk about matchmaker Grizzly Smith, but who's actually in charge of Mid-South? And it's a very interesting little announcement here about the Mid-South Board of Directors at the start of the show. And uh, let's play this now. We'll talk about it on the other side. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and lots of exciting action coming up. We'll see the return for the first time since his recent injury here on television appearance of Ted DiBiase as he takes on the man responsible for that injury, Bob Roop. Also, the mercenary and legendary General Skandor Akbar adds another man to his army in the person of Hacksaw Duggan coming against Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch. They'll be on the card. Uh, also, I'd like to tell you before we get into the matches, I have a personal congratulations to my good friend and a friend of all wrestling in the person of Mr. Charlie Lay, who recently, as a board meeting of our board of directors, elected him as our current president of Mid-South Sport. He's highly regarded, former great professional wrestler, and a highly referee. So we add our congratulations to Charlie Lay. Cowboy Bill Watts is always welcome at our table. He's our guest commentator. Bill, before I turn it over to you, I'd like to remind you that be rigid enforcement, of course, of our guest commentators because of what's happened here lately. We go over the rules from time to time and we don't whenever somebody comes back for the second time because they agree, but no way can you interfere or participate with any match. If you do, you'll be subject to stiff penalty. With that, we welcome. All right, let's pause it there for a second. Interesting stuff. The new president of Mid-South is Charlie Lay. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Charlie Lay worked in the Florida office at the Sportatorium. So I'm guessing it's just someone that Bill Watts remembered from his past in Florida and used in this role. He never appears on camera, to the best of my knowledge, ever on Mid-South Wrestling. But just uh, throwing a bone, using the name of a friend, uh, Charlie Lay in this case. Yeah, I don't ever remember Charlie Lay ever being on, like, on air. And maybe it's just been a long time since I've watched, but I don't remember that. I can remember times when they'll they'll reference him going forward. You know, uh, we talked to Charlie Lay via the telephone a little while ago, like things like that. But uh, I, I was, you know, now that I'm older, I wonder why they would even need to mention. I can't, I don't know. I mean, do you think this was like real that he was? like in some way uh, had like a position with Mid-South and that's why they did this. I mean, cause I mean, Bill Watts is obviously he's the president and owner of the company. So I don't know. Um, they never show him on TV. I, I definitely don't think they do that, but I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that, Brian? I'm not sure. I would think that maybe it's just a, 
announcement and a figurehead position because he's not there. But I will ask around. I'll ask a couple of people who may know. But uh, I think that's what you just kind of said, where it's just they used his name, but he's not actually appearing on the show or anything. But it is an interesting thing to throw in there, the fact that we do have a president of Mid-South Wrestling. So whenever there is a judgment that is above Grizzly Smith's pay grade, they could say it's from Charlie Lay. But one thing you better not do is you better not interfere if you're a commentator. Oh, yeah, they had the so they, you know, I guess at this point, since we've had this happen a few times, Dusty, Ted DiBiase, uh, you've seen it a few different occasions where the the commentary you're sitting on commentary or the guest commentator and you get involved and uh, Boyd wanted to make sure the the cowboy understood. Do not get involved. You're not a wrestler. You are just commentating on the episode. So good. Good job on Boyd warning his boss to not get involved. I mean, we didn't know it was his boss, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let's hear what uh, the cowboy has to say right here about the upcoming episode. Well, thank you, boy. And I know what you're referring to. Some six weeks ago, Dusty Rhodes was baited right here on uh, Mid-South Wrestling by Bob Roop and jumped in to take an answer challenge. Dusty's never been one to back down from any challenge. And uh, he was then jumped by Paul Orndorff and... Uh, he kind of got roughed up, and then on the short end of it, he got a $2,500 fine for breaking that rule. And everybody thought maybe it was a raw deal, but rules are rules, and certainly when somebody's here as your guest commentator and you're hosting the program, they have to understand that they are eliminated from all action in the ring. As for myself, it's not very hard. The guys are getting younger, tougher, and stronger, and the fires of desire as far as one-on-one uh, -on -one combat with me don't burn quite as bright anymore. I enjoy sitting with you here and commentating it. And talking about top young athletes, Skandar Akbar has got a former All-American football player from SMU, a former specialty team and nose guard for the Atlanta Falcons, the member of that suicide squad, as Hacksaw Dugan here with one purpose in mind, to revenge for the general the uh, tremendous, not only a blow to the general's pride, but a pretty, pretty stiff blow to his head administered by the old Marine Dick Murdoch. And exactly. so that's one of the highlights. But let's hear Skandar Akbar talking about Hacksaw Dugan in an interview pre-taped by Reeser Bowden. And there's a taste of Mid-South wrestling in the future. Boyd Pierce calls him Hacksaw Duggan, and Bill Watts calls him Hacksaw Dugan. Dugan, it's always, I think it's wonderful here. And, and uh, just to peek behind the curtain, Brian and I were talking pre-show, and I swear I've never called Hacksaw Duggan Dugan, and I referenced him as Dugan. <laughs> Like I didn't even realize it didn't even mean to do it, but I did it. And Brian, Brian just starts laughing. I go, what are you laughing? He goes, you just called him Dugan. And I swear that's probably the first time in my life I've ever called him Dugan. So Cowboy was on my mind, evidently, when we were talking about this pre-show. But yes, you get the first little taste right there of, of uh, the Cowboy uh, calling him Jim Dugan. Well, let's now go to the aforementioned interview, General Skandar Akbar and his newest charge, Hacksaw Dugan. As you well know, General Skandar Akbar has a formidable stable of athletes under his control, and now he's added another man who will meet Dick Murdoch right here later today in this program in a special challenge match. First of all, everybody saw what happened two weeks ago with Captain Redneck, and nobody walks the face of the earth that puts their hands on the general and brags about it. Let me introduce Hacksaw Duggan, a man... That was at the top in American collegiate and professional football. They call him Hacksaw because he doesn't stop. Just one look at this man, and you know how mean and raunchy and nasty that he can get. And he'll do it all for a $1,000. Hacksaw Duggan, remember the name. 
You'd better remember Murdoch if you're listening. But with all the big and nasty and vicious men that you already have in your stable, why do you feel the necessity to bring somebody else in to do Why should I risk anybody in my stable getting injured when this man is crazy enough, if I may say, mean enough, nasty enough to do it, as I've said before, for a thousand dollars? Just some of my managerial genius. Listen and listen good, Captain Redneck. If Mid-South wants to offer you sanctuary and protect you, I'll take matters in my own hands, and I will do so. And you'll see it all right here on this program later today as Hacksaw Duggan meets Dick Murdoch in a special challenge match. Okay, a few things here. First of all, we should probably make note, Mike, that you will hear some bleeps or some scratches in the audio here on this show. This is an episode of Mid-South Wrestling where it's hard to track down a good quality or a perfect quality copy of it. If you got it off TV, that version's pretty good. But the version that is off the master tapes from the old Universal Wrestling Archive, the former Watts Archive, and now, of course, in the property of the WWE, that has issues. The master tape itself has issues. So anyone who got a copy off that master tape in the last 15 years has the same quality issues with the audio, and it's the same version that's now on the WWE Network. So this is what you hear there as well. But Hacksaw Duggan makes his debut a rather furry and disheveled-looking Hacksaw Duggan, if I may say. Yeah, he looks like he just got out of bed, and I, I came unglued. I didn't remember this, but Akbar he calls him mean and raunchy. So <laughs> I don't know if I've ever I, – I was trying to remember if I've ever heard a wrestler either describe himself or his manager describe him as – obviously mean has been said, but I'm not sure if raunchy – has been a term used to describe a wrestler in the past, but uh, that one got me. And uh, I love uh, you got right there. Reese bowed and asking a question. He's like, "Well, why do you why do you feel the need to bring him in?" So, uh, and Reese kind of puffs his chest out a little when he asked that question. But I I thought uh, I thought this was good, man. I mean, it's obvious you're going to get Akbar to, to talk for him at this point. Uh, we're we're not going to hear uh, old Hacksaw yet uh, on the microphone, but you know he's looking. He's got this furry thing around him and. His his hair, it looks like he just got out of bed, and he doesn't say anything. He just stands there as he's described as mean and raunchy. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about the raunchy Hacksaw Duggan in a bit, but let's let Bill Watts now wrap up everything that we've heard and seen so far in the early portion of this program. Hacksaw Duggan builds a reputation for himself in the National Football League, and anybody knows that if you're on those specialty teams game after game, you've got to be dedicated and a little bit loose in the head because it's a it's a real blind shot situation going down. So Akbar, knowing this young man wants to make a name for himself, he certainly hired him and given him the opportunity here today. Another man, a man of fame, a man that's been known for his intrigue, formerly managed by Rock Hunter. A formidable, formidable opponent, a knowledgeable wrestling man, and a man who double-crossed Ernie Ladd at the beckon of money by Akbar, the assassin. And that's the next one. Let's go to the ring for Reeser Bowden's first introduction. And right there, he wraps everything up, and we get ready for a match with the assassin. And big note here at the top of the show, Mike. Back at ringside, the old man in the cowboy hat, we affectionately know as Hank, he is there once again. Yeah, I didn't want to mention it when we were open, but I noticed it right away because we had made a note of that. We were I don't I was kind of worried. I don't know, were you? I was like, is was. is this the moment when he <laughs> when he leaves or when he doesn't show up anymore? I, I you know, I mean it's one of those things, like you said, we never paid attention to it years ago when we were watching this, but now you notice he's not there. It's like, oh wait, something's missing. But uh evidently Hank is still okay, Mr. Cowboy Hat guy, and 
and he's back in attendance. So we, we see him back. Now, now I know at some point he does disappear, but at least for now, he's still around. And he's as excitable as ever, which means he barely moves. And uh, also yes. in the front row, there's another guy, almost like a bootleg Hank. He's not wearing a cowboy hat. He's wearing a baseball hat or a cap. But he's a few seats down from him, but he looks equally as old. I don't know who that man is, but I just thought I would throw that out there because he got into that front row, that exclusive and elusive front row seat that only teenage girls and old people seem to get in Mid-South Wrestling in Shreveport. But let's now go to this next match, The Assassin versus Tony Torres with Jack Howe as the referee. Uh, Before we get going with the match, The Assassin jumps on the mic, interrupting our pal Reese Bowden. So let's go to this. This event is for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. In the red corner at 255 pounds from parts unknown, the assassin. And in the blue corner at 218 pounds from Houston, Texas, Tony Torres. As the introduction and on the far corner, the man dressed in black with the... I hope that Ernie Ladd is within sound of my voice because I know that Ernie Ladd's very upset over what's happened. But after all, Mr. Ladd, I did what I did for money. Now, I've fallen under a great deal of criticism from a lot of people have written me saying that I did the wrong thing. But I want each and every one of you people out there in the viewing audience to sit down and search your soul and ask yourselves, if you were put in my position and offered the kind of money that I was offered, wouldn't you have done the same thing? That's all I got to say. You be the judge. Well, the assassin better figure out whether he's here to talk or here to wrestle. There's portions of uh, Mid-South Wrestling that are set aside for interview time. But those portions, when you're in the ring, are set aside for wrestling. And, of course, course, Tony Torres, knowing that the assassin and by reputation and by watching him uh, figure to go ahead and try to take advantage of him. Well, let's stop it right there. First of all, I love that Reeser had to get the last word. He had to say something. He couldn't just grab the mic back and walk out of the ring. He's about to walk out. He has to say something. Okay, so I was trying to hold it in while you were playing it. Here we go again. Assassin, I don't think he was supposed to do that, but he did, but whatever. But Reeser definitely didn't know it was coming because when it happens and Assassin pushes the mic back towards Reeser, Tony Torres gets gets ready to go on the attack, and Reeser starts stumbling as that ring starts bouncing around, and Reeser did not look comfortable at all if you watch him. He's, he's like, oh, crap, here we go again. Uh, I, did you catch that? He, he wasn't sure. He, was, he, wasn't, he didn't know what was happening. I am 100% convinced that Reeser has no idea anything that's going to happen on the show, ever. That he just goes out there with his card with everyone's name and hometown and weight, and that's the only (laughs) thing he knows that's going to happen. So whenever we're watching Reeser, we're watching his reactions to things, but he also, he definitely sees himself as a host in some way, because he has to not just hold the microphone, but he has to throw a little two cents in, but it's never like putting himself over, but it's almost like he feels he has to wrap things up for the fans at home. Like, oh, you never know what'll happen next. He has to run out of the ring while all this is going Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. He 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 doesn't know. Watts didn't tell him. I, you know, I, the way Watts reacted too right there was, I'm wondering if Watts, you know, wanted him to grab the mic because he was like, the assassin better get his head in gear because, you know, there's interview time that's normally scheduled. And when you're in that ring, that's not interview time. Like, so Watts kind of starts, you know, mentioning that maybe the assassin shouldn't have grabbed the mic. I don't know. Uh, well, they, it, they, they ring the bell. Like, they ring the bell. That was what was interesting. Right? 
It was twice, and what? that's Boyd who does it. And the only reason I could tell you it was definitely Boyd is because at the very end of the show, we'll say it now, before they close the show out, for some reason, as Boyd's wrapping up, he picks up the bell hammer. Like, I almost thought he was going to ring the bell, but he doesn't. I think he just wanted to grab something. But obviously, he's the one with access to the hammer for the bell. So it's Boyd. He's sitting next to Watts. Watts is probably like, ring the bell. Just ring the bell. That's why it's awkward. It's not even like ding, 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 ding. It's like, ding, ding. Like, they're just trying to figure out what is going on here. Yeah. <laughs> so if they don't know, you know, Reese don't freaking know. <sighs> well, the assassin match <laughs> yeah well the assassin wins with a headbutt uh who knows if he has a loaded head uh headbutt <laughs> if he has a loaded mask or not but interesting thing here watts brings up beforehand and on commentary that the assassin was formerly with rock hunter and of course that was a while back in mid-south that wasn't anything close to 1982 that was a while back so they're referencing that but got me thinking when bill watts was in georgia booking during the atlanta wrestling war who was on the other side for All South? Rock Hunter, The Assassin, and Ernie Ladd. So, I mean, just a little tidbit there, but the fact that Ernie Ladd and The Assassin were feuding and Rock Hunter, who got mentioned, were all on the All South side against Bill Watts back then. So, uh, obviously, the cowboy didn't hold a grudge, and he was able to make good with anyone who could do business with Mid-South Wrestling. And like you said, The Assassin wins with a headbutt. And following this match, we get Ernie Ladd mm. versus... Larry Higgins and uh, Alfred Neely's the referee and an update. Larry Higgins still can't work. Um, the main thing I was looking for in this match was after what we saw from Higgins with one with one man gang with Paul Orndorff in the one man gang story. I was wondering if Higgins would properly sell for Ernie Ladd and not get up after, you know, Ernie Ladd finished him off. So um I will say this, uh, he, he doesn't look any better in the ring per se, but when Ladd dropped the big leg down on him towards the end or in the finish, he seemed to sell it and he didn't just jump up. So let's just say, at least at this moment, it seems like Paul Orndorff's lesson towards uh, Big Larry Higgins uh, worked. Uh, what were your thoughts? Maybe too much because obviously he still can't run the ropes, but every time he goes down, he sells like a fish. Like, he's just, like, kind of flopping a little bit. Like, he still doesn't know how to sell. He knows he's supposed to sell, but he doesn't know how to sell. And one of the telling points is when Ernie Ladd body slams him, which obviously Larry Higgins is the one who has to handle the body slam for Ernie Ladd. You know, that's the way a body slam works. Higgins goes right over. He goes up high and right over. He wasn't messing around with that body slam. No, not at all. Uh, he just, I, I, it, to be honest, when you watch the match back, too, it's almost like he may have been shell-shocked from what had happened to him with Paul Orndorff. Maybe. I mean, I it, it, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm assuming he's a young guy at that point, and I that's that would be my line of thinking. Because he, I mean, he doesn't even do anything. I mean, I don't even think he got any offense. I think Big Cat kind of. I mean, there was at one point Ernie Ladd just you know kind of took him over with a snapmare, and he was selling that like laying on his back. I mean, and and Ernie Ladd yells at him to get up. You you can see it. I mean, he says he get up, and and Higgins gets up. So he he. I think I think he got the message and definitely was like, I'm definitely selling. But that poor guy still couldn't hit the ropes to save his life. Ernie Ladd wins with a leg drop. And from there, the Cowboy recaps everything that happened a few weeks back with Ted DiBiase losing the title. Let's go to this right now, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. On March 17th, 1982, I'm sure will live for a long time in the mind of Ted DiBiase, also in Paul Orndorff. 
as that was the day that Paul Orndorff was selected by Grizzly Smith as the number one contender to wrestle Ted DiBiase for the North American title. However, Bob Root and Paul Orndorff and Skandar Akbar kind of had a meeting of the minds, and they'd laid a trap for young Ted DiBiase because I'll tell you why, bluntly, none of them could beat him. And then Bob Root double-double-crossed his own crew and at least, in my opinion, and the opinion of most people, had sabotaged Paul Orndorff's car because he certainly, Boyd Pearson, when I looked at the films, knew when he was talking to you pretty well that Paul Orndorff wasn't going to be there. And then Bob Roop got that match and implemented the plan that he had with Akbar with the one-man gang and Ted DiBiase lost the North American title and was off six weeks with stretched ligaments in his knee. Let's join the final moments of that once again because I'm sure Ted DiBiase is going to remember it forever. It's easy to forget that Watts hasn't been commentating in several weeks because Jim Ross was there. So this is our first real opportunity to hear Watts wrap all that up. Yeah, it is. And I thought just again, uh, during a time when not everybody's got a VCR and things are missed, I thought this was a, you know, a good little cut in right there from Bill where he kind of wraps it up with what happened. And then he talks about, you know, uh, throws it to not only talks about it, but he throws it to the actual footage where they cut to the footage where DiBiase loses to Roop when one man gang interfered and Roop won the title. So uh, not only Watts hadn't been there, but just I, I like I like this because it was quick. I mean, it, it was, only took a few minutes, but at least if you hadn't seen it, because, again, DVRs aren't a thing back then. Um, not many people have VCRs either because they're very expensive. Uh, you still don't miss anything. So I like this. Well, also it builds up what is coming next on the show, but coming out of the clip, coming out of the recap of the North American title change, Bill Watts has a few words about the victory that Bob Roop had. Well, Boyd Pierce, that event that just happened, had I been a guest commentator or any other wrestler, that's when you would really have to test yourself to be able to sit here and take it. And of course, again, even though it was on tape and it's perfectly visible, there's no way Mid-South can reverse a decision or change the outcome by a videotape replay, just as the National Football League cannot recall a touchdown or recall a penalty infraction. It just goes in the book as a win, but everybody saw what happened. Let's go to the ring right now because Ted DiBiase is going to be able to tell Bob Root in physical terms just how disappointed he was. And there we go. We get the return of Ted DiBiase in a non-title match against Bob Root, the North American champion. What did you think of this match, Mike? You know, no shenanigans in this one was like the first note that I had. Um, I mean, they they got in there, they fought. I I guess I like the fact that it was non-title. Uh, it, they they specifically mentioned not only non-title but one fall, ten minute time limit. I really thought that you know, based on how Ted got screwed over, um, this was a good old school mid south wrestling match between these two, where you know I, I felt like Ted kind of kind of put it to Bob Roop for the most part. I mean, he he had control, what seemed like, for most of the match. I just thought this was good. No shenanigans. DiBiase, uh, towards the uh, end, sends Roop off. He hits him with a power slam, and he pins a North American champion in the middle of the ring. Um, and then afterwards, after the pin, uh, Roop, uh, you know, DiBiase's like, he wants some more of them. So he hits him with a shoulder breaker, and he basically pins him a second time, and he counts the pin. So DiBiase controlled this thing. I'd say most of it early on. I know Rube kind of took over and worked the leg a little bit, uh, but still, man, I, I I enjoyed this. This was uh, this was old school mid south wrestling to me. And it wasn't as quick as some of the other matches on TV. They gave it time to to really build out, and by the end of it, it gets a really big pop when DiBiase pins Rube. You see fans really excited. 
One thing is that Bill Watts, throughout the match, goes back and forth from calling him DiBiase to DiBiase. In the same match, in like the same sentence, he'd be like, look at DiBiase, DiBiase, he got him. Like he just kept going back and forth. And the other thing is you brought up the second pin after the match. I found that so funny because Roop finally gets up and he's kind of disheveled and he raises his hands in the air like he won something. And DiBiase (laughs) sees that and he just picks him up, gives him the shoulder breaker. And now the place pops again and he gives himself the pin. And uh, that's the match. DiBiase with a non-title victory over Bob Roop, the North American champion, the man who defeated him for that title. Fun match. Fun match. And uh, like I said, I really like what Roop celebrated like he did something. And DiBiase just right away picked him up. It, that and, uh, of course, we've been talking about Hank and Cowboy Hat Man, right? So uh, when he when DiBiase pinned him the first time, everybody erupts but Hank. He just just sits there. <laughs> Not a he doesn't flinch. The whole building's going insane. Even for the second pin, Hank doesn't move. And, and kind of the old lady next to him really didn't move either a little bit. But uh, just an observation because we love Hank so much. She has to be with him, right? I would think. Yeah, maybe I think we talked about this, too, like uh, at, at length, but maybe the maybe the, the there's three or four of them there together. I don't know. I mean, I would think so, though, but there's nothing better than old people watching old school wrestling. Even their outfits kind of match this week. So that's what made me bring it up again. But going from here, we get a really big match coming next or not really that big, actually. But in hindsight, it's a big match. The debut yeah. of Hacksaw Duggan. Versus Dick Murdoch, of course, Duggan with General Skandar Akbar, and Alfred Neely is the referee, and Murdoch comes out to the Marine Corps hymn, and one note I did have, Mike, I'd like to know what you think, is it definitely showed you how good Duggan became quickly in Mid-South, because I thought he was rather sloppy here, and in fact, there was one point where Murdoch put him down and was clearly about to go for an elbow drop, and Duggan sat up right away, and Murdoch kind of had to push him down and do it a second time. Duggan was a little sloppy here. And when I say sloppy, I mean, his blows didn't connect the way they would a year later. It looked a little bit like he wasn't yet as comfortable in the ring as he would obviously become within the next year or so. But um, what did you think? Yeah, let me ask you this. How, I don't quite remember. How long had Duggan been wrestling at this point? Do you remember? A few years at least, because he had been a job guy in the WWF in 80 or 81 And then, obviously, he had already worked in Southwest. I think he had already been in Georgia. So he'd been around a little bit, but never really getting the level of push that he's about to get here. Yeah, I I think... I don't know. Maybe it had been just a little bit of lack of experience for him at that point, but because even some of his selling, I thought that, like, for a big old guy, he the way he kind of staggered and and sold a little... It was almost too demonstrative, but I do remember the spot where I think it was Murdoch kind of snap-mirrored him over, and then Murdoch was getting ready to, to drop the elbow on him, and Duggan sat up. Uh, I mean, it might have been it. It might have been some nerves. I mean, you know, he, I'm sure he knew at that point, man, he was coming into a territory for a boss that drove a hard bargain, so it's kind of hard to really say, but um, I, there, there's some things that go on in this match, though, beyond that, that... I, <laughs> <laughs> It's just sometimes with Mid South you have to go. What the hell? Uh, but but well, hold on, I, hold on. It, I don't know. I, based on what you just said, I don't know if you're going to talk about what I wanted to talk about first because it happened earlier in the match when Murdoch kicks Duggan in the balls, or as uh, you know, I think Bill Watts says, "Oh, I kicked him in the upper thigh," or whatever he said. But watch the fans in the front row. They start looking at each other like, "Oh!" Like they all feel that. The women are like, "Ooh!" He kicks yeah. him right in the balls, right in the corner. It's pretty funny. 
<laughs> yeah yeah that, again when you can get the fans to react though too i mean that's part of it right as a fan even though i know it's a work when i see something happen i go "Ooh, like you know that's you're making it look real and that's the whole point of it right so yeah yeah definitely that's what you want i think you're about to pick something apart in this match that i picked apart and it's relatable to something we talked about a few weeks back on the show i forget which exact episode it was but let me play the audio of the end of the match now, and then we'll come out and then talk about what we see here. <laughs> Adam Murdoch go over the brain buster. Look at him horse up that big monster. And he just drilled him, and Dugan got his welcome to pro wrestling. You can be a star in the National Football League. It doesn't necessarily make you a star in pro wrestling. And Murdoch's going into his Marine Corps backpack. He's getting some kind of equipment out there. His back's to, he's got that entrenching tool. Entrenching tool, Bill. And he's going after Akbar. Akbar's on the run, and I don't blame him because Murdoch will plant you with that thing. That's a steel shovel. He's all in the mess. There he, whoa! Is that a connection? Dugan got up. That's, that's a credit to Dugan. Is how tough he is. He got up that brain buster. He got now he's got the tool. The referee tried to stop it. He's got that touch tool. Swing and Murdoch, Murdoch. That shovel's losing their ring. That shovel's losing. Akbar's going that shovel. Murdoch knows he's got to get Akbar to get it. There he gave Akbar a little shoe leather. Watch Dugan digging. There it is. I don't know if my warning helped him. I guess that's just my own emotion. But Murdoch sensed it. Dust. And speaking of biting the dust, we got it coming next. Right, it'll be the junkyard dog and Mr. Olympia teaming up after this word from Mid South Wrestling. Okay, this is the second time we've seen Alfred Neely just completely ignore the rules to help the babyface. <laughs> this is so bad. He's watching Dugan. He's Duke right Dirt. in front of him. He's watching him like as close as you could be. He sees him. I mean, the Murdoch gets the freaking. Sh- tool back and you can say shovel hold on you can say shovel they keep saying entrenching tool because they don't want to say it looks like the shovel if you're going to the beach and your kid has a pail but it's a little shovel he's got this shovel and he (laughs) potatoes dugging right in the head and alfred nearly watches it and even even watch goes well i guess he's gonna let it count and he he counts the pinfall but he not only that even before all of that when he hits him with the brain buster in Murdoch goes for the bag and takes the shovel out. And then the whole sequence with Akbar running as Murdoch chases him. And Akbar gets back into the ring as Murdoch chases him some more. And then Duggan grabs it and swings and misses. And then the tool is the shovel's just laying in the ring. This whole sequence, Alfred Neely just watches and it's like, ho hum, okay. I mean, he knows it's serious because he does react. He tries to grab it at one point. He just was like, uh, well, uh, I'm just going to let this one fly, I guess. It was completely ridiculous. He completely <laughs> saw the babyface cheat using this entrenching tool, this shovel, to bash the heel in the head with it, and he still let it go. And even Bill Watts had to bring it up, like, oh, I guess he's just going to let it go. But uh, maybe President Charlie Lay will have a word or two about this. I really don't know. But once again, Dick maybe Murdoch so. 
Dick Murdoch wins after hitting with the shovel, is what I wrote down here as the finishing maneuver. Uh, and then from there, we get a tag team match. It is the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, the very, very popular babyface team, and Mr. Olympia, a favorite of wrestling historian Carl Stern, I might add, against what I could only describe as the Dirtbag Express, Bob Sweetan and Ken Wayne, who is called Kelly Wayne here. Of course, Bob Sweetan later deported from America uh, after a. I don't know how much we want to say on the air, but let's just say a very, very sick, sick man. And of course, Ken Wayne, I believe right now, sits in a jail cell for also being a very, very sick man. And uh, luckily, they found each other here to team up, and they go against the dog and Mr. Olympia. What did you think of this match, Mike? Uh, I really, I didn't, I didn't have much from it. I mean, um, we've said this a bunch of times, but JYD is in such great shape here. I mean, he's... He just looks so good back then, and and personally, my favorite was when he wore when he would wear the the red tights with the white lettering. I don't know, yeah. that was just was my favorite. I, I did you have a favorite when it came to his attire? I mean, I know sometimes he wears the the, the blue or he wears the light blue or he wears the white, but I used to love the the red tights with the white lettering with the thump on the back and JYD or JY Dog on the side was always my favorite with the white boots and the the dog on the on, on the boots. So, uh, what was your favorite though? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I was going to say the blue one, but as I'm looking at him in the red one, he looks pretty cool here. I think the white is my least favorite, especially as he gained weight. I didn't think the white was good, but, you know, you bring up what shape he's in. He's in amazing shape here, and it's kind of crazy to think that within a year, year and a half, his physique would completely change. You know, like, it's one thing not going to the gym or not working out anymore or just going on a junk food diet, but it really does say a lot just how quickly his waist expanded. And I'm not making a joke or anything, but when you look at it here and you realize this is May of 82, and that within a year, year and a half, he would gain 50 pounds? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, definitely 30. I mean, I remember, I just remember, like, this might be around the time when you, when you, when you last see him, I don't want to say last, but uh, it's probably around this point that he starts the, the weight gain, and then you really notice it. You start noticing it for sure, I believe, in 83. Definitely in 80, by 84, you're like, he doesn't look bad, per se, like he ends up looking in later, later years, but he it, he did. It just felt like overnight he just, just put on that weight and just didn't look the same, man. Obviously, by the time he's in the WWF, he's he's – He's much bigger than he is now, but uh, or now is in 1982. Yeah. Uh, but he, it's amazing how much how much he gained in, in that span of time. Bob Sweetan being here, the dirtbag that he is, and of course Tully was on the last several episodes. Definitely makes me want to dig in a little bit more to find out about a Southwest Mid South connection or relationship at this time. I don't know enough to say that there was one for sure or what it was if there was one, but I definitely want to look into that because again, the fact that Southwest guys keep popping up including Tully, the son of the owner, makes me think something was up. But we have a little bit of audio here, Mike, of Bill Watts putting over just how popular the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia are and uh, talking a little bit about some of the other towns in the Mid-South area. Let's listen to this right now. Ask Olympia and the Mississippi champions. So you got the best of Mississippi, the best of Louisiana. And these two young men just headline another record crowd at the Superdome May 1st in New Orleans, Louisiana. They set attendance records all over the country. Jackson, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Biloxi, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Alexander, Houston, Beaumont, San Antonio, wherever they go, because there's one thing about it. You've got two great athletes out there, two fine young men, 
a tremendous team, both great individual stars. The Junkyard Dog has surpassed every wrestling star, as far as I'm concerned, in the country as the, the top young athlete in the business today. You've got the international stars like Dick Murdoch, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, former world's champion. The man that's on the lips of everyone as the upcomer, the, the, the heir to the throne, more or less. That man you're watching right there, the Junkyard Dog, and that bruiser Bob Sweetan, one of the toughest wrestlers in wrestling, one of former Brass Knucks champion. And I can personally testify to how rough and tough he is. Well, let's stop it right there. First of all, he mentioned San Antonio amongst the cities in the Mid-South area that these guys are wrestling in. So the fact that he mentioned San Antonio and the Southwest guys are here, there definitely was something up. We need to find out a little bit more about what exactly it was. And he's putting the JYD over pretty strong here, Mike. Yeah, he, I mean, he called him the the heir to the throne. So I don't know if you can. He and he wrapped it up with that. So I don't know if you can get any stronger than that when he mentions that. I mean, uh, obviously, he knew at that point the plans that he had for JYD going forward as as we're in 1982 and beyond. So calling him the heir to the throne. Uh, not that we know Watts was the 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 company. He was the owner, you know, operator, etc. We know that him saying that obviously meant a lot more uh, then than we would have realized. But yeah, definitely there. You know, he's, he's praising JYD and calling him the heir to the throne is a big deal. The dog and Mr. Olympia win the match after the dog headbutts Ken Wayne or Kelly Wayne, as he's called during the introductions. And then Mr. Olympia drops an elbow drop or an el- <laughs> drops an elbow drop. Mr. Olympia elbows him uh, dropping down with an elbow <laughs> to win the match. And uh, that's that match. And the next match we get the one man gang versus Coco Samoa. This is really a big size difference in terms of height and, of course, weight, but especially with height between the gang and Coco Samoa. Smart move, because it makes the gang look so big, makes them look so imposing, so hard to believe that anyone's going to be able to stop him. He's huge. I mean, he's standing next to this guy who's obviously about a foot shorter than him, I would assume, if not more. Uh, Coco Samoa, uh, you said something to me. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, how every time he's about to hit a move, he claps. So I can't unsee it now. <laughs> I watched Coco Samoa. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that it it's just it slap it slaps you in the face every time he's about to do something you see him slap his hands. So uh but um you know what I liked here and I think you're gonna play some audio from this is Watts talks about gang and his lack of muscular physique, but still having powerful strength. And there's actually something to that because, I mean, just because people are ripped and look muscular and 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 they look they look jacked just because they're ripped and they have low body fat, um, does not always mean that that person is as powerful as someone who is not as ripped. And I thought. You know, watch just subtle mention talking about the gang and his lack of actual muscular or definition physique, but he still has a lot of power and has a powerful strength. I thought that was a good on Watts, you know, selling the gang right there. And it's true, too. I mean, I know people who have been cut where you would look at them and think, wow, that's someone strong. And they couldn't bench press 100 pounds, you know, but they looked like they were really, really strong. And I've known people who look very sloppy. And they can go out there and they could bench press as much as anyone in the gym. So it is true. But of course, as wrestling got very much more cosmetic in the 1980s, physique meant everything. And luckily, the gang actually made a really good move in terms of the outfit change and everything. So he didn't look as, I'm going to use the word sloppy again, excuse me, but didn't look as sloppy. And, and it worked for him. And his, and his outfit change and his look change didn't make him look like 
he looked like a badass. He looked like someone really big and strong, so it worked. But let's go to that audio right now that you just mentioned from Cowboy Bill Watts. When you give away 100 pounds in body weight, as a dog has to do, dog weigh about 240 and the, dog, and the, and the one-man gang 450, Murdoch about 260, DBS about 250. That's a lot of weight to give away. Even Big Ernie Ladd, 320 pounds. This man outweighs him 130 pounds. It's just an awesome thing. The, the, when you look at the body tone, he doesn't have the physique of a bodybuilder or anything else. But they've got that tremendous strength just from carrying their own weight around. And when they drop that mass on you, it just is an awesome thing. And when they hit you, it doesn't even have to be a, a real crisp shot. It doesn't have to have the snap of a boxer. When it's got that weight behind you, it just numbs you and shocks you. So he is a very, very formidable opponent. Wow, he liked to slam Coco Small throw through the mat. Akbar's got a tough one there. 454 pounds just dropping down. That's it. And another victory for the big man in the stable of Skandar Akbar, the one-man gang. We still have time remaining, and you know on Mid-South Racing, we bring you action instead of talk. So we'll be back with another match after this word from Mid-South Racing Television Network. And there it is. The one-man gang beats Coco Samoa with a splash, and uh, the match... It gets across what it needs to get get across. The one-man gang is big and strong and powerful, and everyone better watch out. Yeah, I thought so too, man. I mean, exactly what you just said. And one other thing, you were talking about how he changes his attire. He definitely does. When when he when gang changes over into that, you know, black and red, I think it really – he was still the one-man gang by name, but I think it really, like, accentuates – the character or, or what he was trying to be. And uh, he starts looking a whole lot different. So his, his the, the singlet and then he would have the, the sleeves on the singlet. I think it greatly helped him. And I actually think um, he, to me, he gets bigger, but I think he actually does put on some muscle in later years because he, he's actually, he's big right now uh, and he has no muscular physique at all. But I want to say while he gained weight, I, I, I'm thinking he put on some muscle in later years, even though you can't see it. Cause he's just a, he's just a big man. The haircut's a big help too, because he looks kind of cheap just because it, it's just long sloppy hair. But when he gets that haircut, it kind of really helps establish him as he has a look. He doesn't look like just some sloppy guy. He looks like a big, dangerous, scary guy. He doesn't look dangerous, although he's been established as being dangerous from all the guys he's injured. But he doesn't look it yet. When he gets the haircut, he looks dangerous. Yeah, I think it's a, hair, it's a combination of the haircut. And then the, I, I really like when he got that red and black type of coloring with his singlet and long, not long sleeve, but short sleeve like type singlet and long tights. I, I thought, I thought his look really, really changed for the better. Uh, once he, once he gets past this stage he's in. So, but like you said, it, the match served its purpose. He got a relatively quick, quick win against Coco Samoa. Sadly for Mike, no one in the next match wears red. Cause obviously between the junkyard dog and the one man gang, <laughs> red is his favorite color. What color did you wear when you were a wrestler? Uh, red and black. Yeah, wait, well, hey, you see, I'm picking up something here. I don't know for sure, but I think something's going on. But we do get a remainder of time television match here to end the show. The Grappler returning this week against Buddy Landell. And it's a pretty good match. It goes on for a while because they do have to fill up the rest of the show. The Grappler wins with a reverse neckbreaker. Jack Howe is the referee. I didn't really have any notes about this match, Mike. Uh, they put over, you know, his boot and how they think, uh, well, Watts does that his boot may not actually be. Uh, he doesn't have any justified reason to have that boot, which he loads. Uh, but other than that, I have no notes here. What about you? 
Yeah, all I got is, uh, like you said, not much time, but a little bit more than normal for the remaining TV time match. Uh, but Watts does put over Buddy saying he is one of the up-and-comers. I mean, that was good on Watts to kind of you know, pump pump up buddy right there a little bit uh watts also puts over grappler as former north american champion uh boyd like you said talks about the lifted boot the grappler has and he still thinks it's the way i got it from boyd was he still thinks it's a joke even though the grappler has a doctor's note as we've discussed on this show before um i thought buddy got a little bit of offense in but uh, buddy is caught though uh trying to give a suplex to the grappler grappler reverses into a neck breaker and grappler gets the win uh we did here at the end the louisiana title will be on the line next week I think they mentioned Bruiser Bob uh, Sweet Tan will also be on the show. Uh, and against a dog. Yeah, against a dog. And then One Man Gang and the Assassin versus Lad and Mike Sharp. So there you go. Something to look forward to as we know what's been going on with the Assassin, Akbar, and Lad. So there you go. And Mike Sharp, because remember when Lad couldn't find a tag team partner a few weeks you know, ago I- after the Assassin turned on him, it was Mike Sharp was the one guy who had just debuted in the territory who would actually come down and help him. And then eventually Paul Orndorff did. They did make mention on the show that Orndorff will be back in a few weeks. So I don't remember. I don't think there was any reason given before this episode for him not being there. But they do make mention that he'll be back in a couple weeks. Okay, I didn't catch that. But yeah, you're right. Because they, they, they haven't said anything at all. I mean, recently about that. Yeah. And with that, we have another episode of Mid-South Wrestling in the books. And as we wrap things up, I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. And Mike, as we're wrapping things up, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And if you want to check us out, we are Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast where language is strong. So you've been warned, but check us out. We have a good time. We have a lot of fun. We talk Smoky Mountain Wrestling on Thursday nights. That's our, not a Thursday nights. On Sunday nights, we talk Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And on Thursday, uh, we do a bit of NWA Saturday night on TBS reviews. So come check us out. You can find us at tinyurl.com slash bttpod or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from but you have been warned doc and hard body hopper and i use very strong language as we review and talk southern classic wrestling but it's a lot of fun so come join us and uh it's a good time i think you'll enjoy the mid-south wrestling television review is a production of the arcadian vanguard podcast network for mike mills i'm the great brian last tally ho (laughs) 